0: the real way to end the ambivalence is to make a decision. The first step is always to make a decision. The only way we really influence others is by inspiring them. And the only way we inspire them is by changing. Gandhi called it by being the change we want to see. Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship, and we are continuing our series today on marital ambivalence. Yeah, this is a big one because it's not unusual. In fact, it's not unusual for people who are married to have ambivalence. It's not unusual for people who are getting divorced to have ambivalence, and it's really not even unusual for people who have gotten divorced to be ambivalent about the divorce. Right, ambivalence is a human state. And the question is, how deep in it are you? And it's an unnecessary human state. And today we're going to talk about going solo, the art of single-handedly saving your marriage and what is required to step out of that ambivalence and into the art of single-handedly saving your marriage. Well, let's be clear. There are other possibilities when you're ambivalent. You could get divorced, you continue on ambivalently, but this is the first alternative in our opinion. And the reason why I consider it the first alternative is when you think about the cost of divorce, depending on your income, the cost of divorce could be as much as a quarter of a million dollars. I've known people to spend even more than that. Might be $100,000, might be as low as 30 or $50,000. The time it takes to get divorced is approximately one to three years. I've known people to take as long as 10 years. Very rarely have I met people who have taken less than a year who have children. When you look at the time, the financial cost, and then there's the emotional cost, it makes a heck of a lot more sense to save the marriage if you feel like there's some love there, even if you're ambivalent about it, if you're not sure about it, there's some love there. So let me tell you the first step. Well, I, I'm really anxious to tell you the first step. Let, let's talk about what we're going to cover. We're going to talk about understanding the solo journey. We're going to talk about the myth of changing others. We're going to talk about some of the challenges that men and women might face. We're going to talk about self-reflection and personal growth. Uh, Communication strategies, setting boundaries, strategies for change, seeking support, and preparing for the outcomes. That's what we're going to cover today. And before we get to understanding the solo journey, let me tell you the thing that has to happen first. No matter what course of action you take, if you're in ambivalence, the real way to end the ambivalence is to make a decision. The first step is always to make a decision, decide which way you're going to go. And so in the face of the cost of divorce, the emotional cost to your children, the financial cost, how long it takes, how you feel afterwards that you can never undo the damage of that experience, it seems to me the decision would be pretty easy. Oh, no, it's not easy because look at all the things that are wrong, Rich. Yeah, the things that are wrong. The only way you can work through the things that are, quote, wrong, the things that aren't working, the things that are driving your ambivalence, is first to make a decision. And once you make a decision, then you need to bring into alignment all the elements within yourself that are in the way, the old feelings, the limiting beliefs. All right, so let's talk about the solo journey and we're going to talk a little more about those limiting beliefs and old emotions, which I'm so fond of talking about. Challenges to the solo journey are not only inside of ourselves. Challenges to the solo journey have to do with the other person also. You've been doing this dance together, the ambivalence dance, for a while Your ambivalence would not be at the point that it is if you hadn't been doing the dance for a while. So they have got all kinds of beliefs and feelings and thoughts and their own ambivalence. So when you start this journey, you're going to come up against that. If you decide to get divorced, you'll come up against all the reasons why they don't. If you decide that you really want all in and you really want a marriage that works, you want to get through the ambivalence, you're going to come up against all of their reasons why they don't want all in or all their fears about being all in. Now, let me argue for this approach, even though it's a challenge. I have done a ton of work with couples. I started doing couples work in the pandemic when couples were really up against it. Uh, And I had the training for it. Uh, It was like one of those stars in alignment kind of things. I had just done a mediation training and I had dropped and trained as a parent coordinator. And all of a sudden all these couples were calling me and I had the tools, so I started working with them. And what I found with couples is that it goes like this. It was very rare, almost never, did two people come to me saying, we really wanna work on this, very rare. Usually one person was leading the way, either pulling the other one by the hand or dragging them by the hair, one of the two. They, maybe somebody had committed infidelity and they didn't want to go out of the marriage, but they really didn't want to go out of counseling because they didn't want to talk about the infidelity, right? They wanted to stay in, but they didn't want to let go of the stuff they needed to, to stay in kind of thing. Or, you know, one person uh, was very disengaged and the other one wanted to be more engaged and the disengaged one's very busy and it's hard to get them in the room. There's always one person who leads the way. And so the truth is that even in couples work, there is one person who is taking the lead, who has made the decision that they're going to work through whatever it is that needs to be worked through in the marriage. And so the advantage that they have over maybe you is that the other person has agreed reluctantly ambivalently that they're going to do the couple's work. You may have somebody on the other end who doesn't want to do the work, but you've decided to do it anyway. And what I'm here to tell you is it is totally possible, not only possible, but I've helped lots of men in particular to work through this, to take the lead in their marriage and to resuscitate the love and create a new partnership. Why resuscitate the love and create a new partnership because love is love. It evolves and it grows. But very often when we're in an ambivalent place, it's because the old partnership stopped working and there's no going back. Right. Going back. I've get a lot of people who come to me who want to save their marriage individually and they want to go back to the way it was. Well, it's just not possible. You don't step in the same river twice. There's no going back in time. You just can't. But what you can do is look at the qualities that you liked best about that time and work towards something like them, or even something that's the same as them today. But it won't be exactly the same. Nothing's ever exactly the same because you both changed and you've grown. You've both had the experience of being ambivalent. Back then, when everything was wonderful, usually that's the end love stage. There's no ambivalence, and both people are kind of naive about what the future holds. They're hoping they're going to be in love forever. And as you've heard me say a hundred times, in love is a short-term prospect. And so the goal becomes to build a mature romance that incorporates some of the qualities of in love, but is also grounded in reality. Probably the best way to put this is when we're in love, we are eternal optimists. But when we're rebuilding our relationship, building a new relationship together, we're realists. Realists have optimism uh, and they see the possibility of failure. When we're in love, we almost see no possibility of failure. We're total optimists, right? And so mature romance is about being a realist in our relationship. A realist knows what they want. They know the direction they want to go. They know where do they need to come from emotionally to get to that place. They create a strategy coming from that place where they need to be emotionally and they succeed, but they succeed seeing the risks and they succeed seeing the possible pitfalls and they succeed even when the unexpected comes up because they are realists and they're optimistic. Now, one of the biggest myths we need to watch out for when we make the decision is that we can change others. That goes right so that the first myth we talked about was the myth of going backwards. That doesn't happen. The second myth is that we can change the other person. We can make them better because the problem is them, right? Well, that isn't how it works. First of all, we have no control of other people. We barely have control of ourselves. In fact, there are some parts of ourselves that we can only influence. We can talk about that. That's a whole nother podcast episode. And we can only at best influence them. And what that means is we need to think about how can we influence them. Do we influence them by telling them what we want? Do we influence them by telling them how it's going to be? Do we influence them by telling them what they're doing that's wrong? Do we influence them by telling them how they ought to live? Those are all, well, not all, mostly big mistakes. The only way we really influence others is by inspiring them. And the only way we inspire them is by changing. Gandhi called it by being the change we want to see. And so the simplest recipe for influencing others is if we, you see that your partner is incredibly self-centered, the only way you can influence them is to demonstrate what it means to be, I'm trying to think of the right word, unselfish. Is that the word? Unselfish sounds wrong to me though, right? Because true selfishness, high level selfishness is the realization that we can't be happy unless the people we love are happy. And so I would say unselfish is probably the wrong word. It's more, um, I'm going to call it ecologically focused, All right? Ecologically focused, the ecology of our lives. In the ecology of our lives we know we need to take care of ourselves and we need to love and support the people around us and so what we would want to demonstrate to our partner is how to both take care of ourselves and do our best to love and support those around us unconditionally that's probably where we're going with this we want to demonstrate what is unconditional love which is a stretch okay it's a stretch. Because most of us don't know what it means to love unconditionally. If you're going to take the solo lead in your marriage and you transform it, the place to come from is unconditional love. I love you unconditionally. If you decide to divorce me, I love you unconditionally. If you decided to stay with me, I love you unconditionally. Whatever you decide, I love you unconditionally. What that means is I love you so much that whatever you choose is going to be okay for me because I know you're on your own journey and you need to figure this out for yourself. And when you come from that place, your partner might divorce you, marry someone else, ditch them, and come back to you someday as long as you're in the place of loving them unconditionally. Right? Because eventually, that's what we all want. That's what we all return to. We all return to that unconditional love. It's what we want the most. And they may never come back, by the way. But we influence them by demonstrating that we're invested in changing ourselves and improving ourselves so that we can be the best partner we can possibly be. And if they still want out, even though we're the best partner we can possibly be, that's okay. right? So we let go of our investment in their behavior. We let go of our investment in how they show up. We let go of our investment in how things should be. And we focus on invest in ourselves, on being our best selves. So here we are, we're focusing on being our best selves. What does that mean? Uh, There are, I'm going to look on my wall here. There are six within's that we focus on. Our body, our emotions, our intellect, our spirit, our values, and our sense of mission or purpose in life, right? And I know, I just said those six things to you and you said, oh, my body, I don't really want to think about that. Oh, my emotions, what does that mean? My emotions are okay. Intellect, what am I supposed to do with that? I went to school. Spirit, what is it? Spirit, are you talking about church? Values, yeah, I've got values. Mission, well, I'm not sure what that is. I mean, I'm sure when I called out those six things, it brought out all kinds of question marks, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some of those areas you feel super strong in. But the point is, in those six within areas, we're gonna start building them up. We're going to start with the weakest and build it up, and so that they're and we're going to keep building them and growing them and developing those qualities in ourselves. And we start with, of all things, we start with the body, right? Our body is the vessel through which our mind expresses itself. And if our body is weak or unhealthy, then it influences our mind and our ability to express ourselves. And so, our first step is to really focus on a regimen for that body. And we're, not we're, that we're going to wait for our body to become perfect so that we look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever your idealized body is, right? But we're going to evolve, we're going to begin a program so we're feeling better about our body and so that we know our body's improving. And that involves exercise, that involves sleep, and that involves eating. Those are the, the three biggies for the body. Right? And I could talk about the other five areas. I could do, I, I actually have done a whole podcasts on them. But what we want to do is we want to start moving in these areas, and if we're particularly jammed up in one of these areas, we're going to want to do some release work. Uh, it might be uh, an intensive journaling process, looking at old emotions p- combined with meditation and prayer, or it might be a mental and emotional release process, like we talked about here on Richard Relationship, that we do with people, but whatever it is... We're gonna start to let go of the old emotions and beliefs that are holding us back and what, over those, whatever those areas are so we can take optimal care of the within. And then let's talk about the without. There's partnership. That's what this show is about, relationship, partnership, right? We're gonna start working on our partnership. There's family. That's our immediate family and extended family. There's community. That's the community we live in. There's our lifestyle needs, our career, And our financial needs. And we separate financial, career, and lifestyle because sometimes our financial and career are separate. Some people have trust funds and they work. Some people have put away enough money to feel financially free and they work. Or some people are working, but they're not happy with the finances that come out of their work and they need in some way to alter that. And lifestyle is directly impacted by our finances, right? Those are the other six areas. And again, as we work on those areas and polish them, we may need to do some release work. I'll spare you that. Now, as we are developing and growing and moving forward in our lives, always with partnership on the front burner, always attending to the needs of our partner, who we love, right? We've made a decision that we love them. They will start to notice the change in us. And I often say families are like mobiles. Mobiles are perfectly balanced. When one element in the mobile lightens up, another element drops down. So every foot that you rise is a foot he or she goes down. And they go, oh, my God, look at him or her. I, I might want to do some work. Or they go, oh, my God, look at him or her. I got to jump off this mobile. All right, but what will happen when you work on yourself is it's going to drive a decision on your partner's part. Um, let's talk a little more about working through that ambivalence. A way to work through that ambivalence is to exercise your love. So get that love is not just a feeling, it's a muscle so we've decided that we're going to work through this ambivalence. We've decided that we're going to work on ourselves. We're going to improve our body, our emotions, our intellect, our spirit, our values, our mission, etc. And we're going to work on that partnership. But what we come up against in the partnership is, oh God, he, she, they're still doing that whatever. Well, exercising our love means loving them so much that we don't mind if they do that anymore. It also might mean loving ourselves so much that if they're doing something that feels destructive or painful to us that we're gonna set some boundaries. So it might mean that if he or she are calling you names, you're gonna make a decision that when they do that, you're gonna ask them to stop. And if they can't stop, you're gonna go take a timeout. You're gonna make it safe for yourself, all right? And so we protect ourselves from their negative, from their negative interactions with us, the ones that used to make us jump oh so high so I don't know if you can hear it. There's a siren going by. This is must, this boundary is really important. If the sirens going by, we protect ourselves from the their negative output. We don't try and stop them or change them. We just withdraw. We go to our safe place, and we speak when we come back. We only speak positive, our our love to them, and positively. Now we might, if we're getting some help and some support, we might say something to them like, an I and use an I statement, we might work into some communication styles that are going to help with this process. Like, I feel criticized when you get mad at me for spilling your vitamins on the floor because when I make mistakes, I don't receive feedback very well. So it's I feel x when the situation and because of whatever it's triggering in us so the the way to do that make it sound like blame this is the not way to do it would be i feel criticized when you get upset because i spilled your vitamins on the floor because you are a hostile angry bastard who's incredibly destructive and cruel that would be a blame driven because that's why the because needs to be about because us because of our something about our reaction right we don't want to turn it on them we want to keep it about us and what we're doing is we're sharing our feeling we're giving them feedback on uh, how we've received what they're saying and depending on how open they are they'll either receive it or they'll push it away now, if they push it away, you go, okay, just letting you know how I feel. And then you go back to your safe space. Now, your your marriage partnership may not be ready for that. You might want to save that. You may not be ready for that. Okay, let's talk a little about men and women. The big danger for men is men grapple with being the fixer or provider of the situation. And so men, you're really going to need to get off of that. You're not fixing the relationship. The only thing you're fixing is you. Men, you're going to need to find ways to handle your anger because your anger is scary whereas hers is not. Women struggle with expectations of nurturing and maintaining the relationship which might affect your social effort, you need to just drop the nurturing. Like you're you're not going to nurture when you're saving the marriage at first. Um, at first, you're going to drop all that, right? So, so there's roles that you're going to drop and just focus on yourselves. Now, as you move on, what's going to work is going to be patience and consistency when you're implementing these new behaviors. Uh, you're going to acknowledge these different societal expectations for men and women. Um, What men primarily are looking for, ladies, is they want to know that you understand, not hear them, but understand where it is they want to get to. And so when men express things to you in a way that sounds critical or sounds hostile, just get that what they're trying to do is express where they want to go. And so if you stay focused on where it is they want to go or help them to stay focused on where they want to go, they will feel understood and work through it. And men, women primarily want to be heard. They want you to understand what their feelings are in the context of their lives. And just in acknowledging and hearing and validating their feelings, um, you'll make huge headway with them. It's super important, whether you are a man or a woman engaging in this process, that you have support. Reach out to me anytime, rich at richinrelationship.com or comment on this podcast or video blog or however you're taking this in. We do groups here. We do individual coaching. We have programs for people of all different incomes. So if you need help, feel free to reach out to us or reach out to your spiritual leader or hire a therapist. Make sure you have somebody in your corner who understands you and who has a sense of what it is you're trying to accomplish, who it is you're trying to be. Understand that there are going to be a lot of possible outcomes here. The more you change and the more you take responsibility for yourself, the faster doors will open. Uh, Pretty typically the way this goes is men, when, uh, when you start working on yourself and changing yourself and showing up as empathetic, that's the central emotion, or the central way of being, when you show up as empathetic to your wife's situation, she will probably suggest couples work at that point when she feels safe enough and allow her to take the lead in that because relationships are really her porté. And women, uh, if you're making this effort solo, you're practicing compassion. It's a little, it's similar to empathy. What that means is you connect with them emotionally and have a sense of where it is they want to go. It's a it's a little more than empathy. And as your man starts to feel safe, he's probably not gonna do a great job. He's probably not gonna ask for couples work. He might though. Again, you're probably gonna need to take the lead in this. You know, very often the way this plays out is men need to take the lead when it comes to changing themselves and structural things. uh, and women need to take the lead when it comes to changing themselves and ecological relational things. And that has to do with the way men's brains are wired and the way women's brains are wired. And you can listen to some previous episodes. All right. This has been a little long. I'm going to wrap it up here. If you're liking what you hear, please subscribe, um, comment, share this with your friends. And we're going to continue on this journey together. Heads up. Uh, we are doing a series on uh, in November on how to make it through the holidays if you're thinking about getting divorced or if you're in the divorce process. So if you're ambivalent and you're listening to this, you've probably thought about getting divorced. This is going to be strategies for making it through the holidays when you're not on the same page with your partner. All right, so feel free to drop in. We will have divorce lawyers speaking in this series, but... And that might be helpful to you in making your decision about whether you're going to get divorced or whether you're going to, together or alone, try and save the marriage. Hey, and I also want to highlight a movie that I think you'll really like. It's called Fireproof. Um, Check out Fireproof. It came out a few years ago. You probably get it for two or three bucks on any of the streaming services. Fireproof is the story of a guy who single-handedly... Decided to save his marriage and what he came up against and what he had to go through. It's a great story. And with that, I look forward to speaking to you next episode.